Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. 22 new signings, just one win in their opening nine games. And despite pressure on head coach Steve Cooper, he signed a new contract last Friday. We're going to delve into Nottingham Forest's return to the top flight with the Athletics Nottingham Forest writer Paul Taylor and Nick Miller, a Forest fan and athletic writer as well. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Forest has often been chaotic. I think once they'd signed the 22 players and spent around £150 million, they were aiming even higher. They thought they could get a top-half finish or even perhaps lower end of European places. And whether you think that's realistic or not, that was their goal. The emotional connection between a man who gave us, for fans of a certain generation, the greatest moment of our forest-supporting lives, that emotional connection isn't going to go. In my life, whatever... uh we are involved with, always we're at the top. So after 23 years away from the Premier League, Nottingham Forest haven't been short of attention on their return to the big time. Although uh, I'm not sure, Paul, all the attention has been for what they would want to be the right reasons. Uh, No, not exactly. Uh, As usual at Forest, I mean, I've been covering the club for 16 years and this is the 18th permanent manager that, that they've had in that time. And it was almost the 19th a few days ago. So that, that kind of tells a story of, of, of what this club is like. It's They've managed to get into the Premier League and there's lots of positives with that. And a lot of that is down to Steve Cooper, of course, who, who's come in and sprinkled his magic over things. But there's never there's never a bit of colour or controversy far away at Nottingham Forest. It, it, it's one of those clubs that always delivers on the news front and always keeps things interesting. It's never been... Never been dull over the last 16 years covering this club. And uh, I hope it stays that way, to be honest, because it's, it's good fun. Well, it, well, it must be, yes, yes. And it keeps you busy, doesn't it? I mean, I've said this many times, Nick. For those of us of a, a certain age who grew up in the 80s and stuff, there is a there is an affection for Nottingham Forest to, to have them back because of everything with, that was associated to, with them in the, in the 70s and 80s. And also because of how they played last season, you know, when 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 I was at the City Ground last season, it was absolutely rocky. It was fantastic, and I think those of us who have that affection and are neutrals then have seen what's happened over the summer and gone, oh. <laughs> and I wonder whether it's the same. I wonder whether it's the same for the fans. Yeah, I mean, we kind of the, the, the weird thing about the the number of signings. Obviously, twenty two is a is extreme even for Forest. But Forest fans are very used to you know double figures arriving in one window. I think the general mood among the fans was relatively optimistic during the summer, and then as you know, as signing sixteen came through the door, and then seventeen, and then eighteen, and then nineteen, and that he would be loaned out somewhere. People were getting a bit kind of uh, is this? I mean, is this going to stop? Is this is this is this a bit weird now? But the, the optimism was there as just I mean, just simply because 
they were back in the Premier League and they looked like they were giving it a go rather than just kind of not really signing anyone and you know, and letting uh, let everything slide. I suppose though, what um what I meant as well, Paul, is that having seemingly done everything the right way last season, there is an element of thinking this doesn't feel like the right way to do it this season. And I know those within Nottingham Forest will go, needs must. You know, there are a lot of players who went out last year, but I also, you then take Nick's point, by the time you get to player number 18, 19, 20, you're thinking, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I would defend the club a tiny bit in the sense that they did absolutely have to recruit and recruit heavily this, this summer because, as you mentioned, there was the five key loan signings who were at the club last season, players like James Garner, Philip Zinkenagel, Keenan Davis, uh, one or two others, and, and Lewis Graben and, and Bryce Samba. They all left for various different reasons and it, it left a void in the, in the squad. Whether the recruitment has been perfect, we will. it hasn't been perfect, but we'll find out how good it has been over the, the, the next couple of months. I think what they've done has been ambitious in some ways. You look at signings like Morgan Gibbs-White, you know, breaking the club record, transfer signing to get him for an initial fee of £25 million. Uh, Tewu Awanyi also broke the transfer record before that. It's not a perfect science recruitment and Forrest did have to go out and get a lot of players. Have they got too many? The suspicion is that there has been too much change, yes. And, and it is hard and it has been really difficult for Steve Cooper to kind of corral all these new signings and turn it into a, a cohesive, unified team to take what he had last season, all that togetherness and unity and team spirit and regenerate that amongst an almost entirely new group of players. That's where the difficulties lay. We'll come on to the people behind the scenes a little bit later in the pod. So let's focus on, on them on the field here. Are they trying to play the same type of football that they played last season? Does Cooper have a philosophy that worked last season that's working this season, Nick? I think he he tried that in the first few games. Obviously tried to play the same, exactly the same system in certainly the first six or seven games. It worked in a couple of games it worked did not work uh, quite spectacularly in a couple of others so the most recent game um one one all draw against Aston Villa it was very different to how they played last season they changed the formation it was very kind of um last season Forest were very defensively solid without being defensive if that makes sense but on Monday night against Villa it was very much a sort of 4-5-1 lots of men behind the ball trying and frustrate the opponents which you know that is, I think Cooper said after the game is not really how he wants to play, but needs must at the moment. How long that will last, I'm not really sure, but it worked for now. And I suppose he was. It is, I suppose the interesting question is whether he would have done that if, if as at one point we thought he was basically he basically had to win that Villa game to keep his job um, with the the new contract that he signed uh, last week. It gave him theoretically, and you know how much security extends at, at Nottingham Forest. You're never sure, but even if you have just signed a new contract, but that theoretically gave him a little bit of security to think a bit more medium term. Maybe not long. Let's not go get, get giddy here and say he's thinking long term, <laughs> but um, but thinking that you know this would be a start. This would be kind of a solid point, and we can build on that. Well, yeah, it, it sounds like Nick's just basically read out my match piece from the other night. <laughs> that, that, that was uh, that, that was more or less entirely the assessment that, that I made after the game as well. It, it it was a needs must moment, and Steve Cooper freely admitted it. He, I think he actually used a phrase something along the lines of, "Is it the kind of football I want to see?" 
No. Is it the kind of football the fans want to see? Probably not. But it, it was necessary and it got the job done and it got us a point and it kind of stopped the rot, if you like. I think after five defeats and I think it was 18 goals in that time frame, which is ridiculous. There's been former Forest managers who, when plan A hasn't been working, I'm looking at you, Mark Warburton, tried to do plan A better and, and, and it just doesn't always work. You sometimes have to go to plan B and I think by doing that, you can sometimes go full circle, get your confidence back, get the players used to the Premier League and perhaps then go back to plan A and try and make that work. But in the meantime, they've got to pick up some points just to make sure they don't get cast adrift at, at the foot of the Premier League table and, as Nick alluded to, to, to make sure that they're not, they're not looking at another change in manager any time in, in the near future. Before I come on to Cooper himself, I mean, they've conceded 10 goals from outside the box already this season, including each of their last seven games. Is there a reason why that's happening? I could throw in, without having seen every single 90 minutes of, of Forest this season, probably the fact that there, there hasn't been a settled 11. I'm not sure I'm not sure people might might know where they need to be in, in certain situations. But is there anything else? It's really curious. I, I, bizarrely, I, I was planning a piece on this as well, and I spent some of yesterday looking at the goals they've conceded from outside the box. And... Ba- basically, Paul, me and Nick just nick all your material. I wouldn't, wor- I wouldn't worry about it. Well, that's that's, that's yeah. the way as we roll. As long as people go and yeah. read it, I don't really care. It's fine. <laughs> if somebody's reading it, it's all good. Uh, you know, uh, I looked at them, and, and there's not too many, for example, that you would look at Dean Henderson and say, well, he's made a ricket there and not done well enough. He, he, his positioning's been good. It, it's just been... There's one goal against Leicester City, a free kick from outside the box that he, he just stood rooted and just didn't see it. And he, that was one way you thought, yeah, somebody of his calibre should have done a lot better with that one. But but otherwise, there, there's not really one way you thought he's had a stinker or he, he could have done a, a lot better. I, I think the point you made about perhaps not having a settled defence in front of him was probably very valid. You know, the, there's been times where they've not particularly blocked very well, where they've they've left players to allow them to have these shots, very good Premier League players, uh, to, to ping in shots from 20 yards. And that felt like a big difference against Villa. I know, I know Young scored an absolute belter, you know, a real rasper from the edge of the box where uh, he absolutely pinged it into the bottom corner. But... At the same time, in that game, Villa had 12 shots and eight of them were blocked by Forrest, which is, felt like a seat change where they were really busting a gut. There was Frula, Cook, McKenna, all of them were really busting a gut to make sure that if anybody had a shot from the edge of the box, it was blocked and charged down. And it, that felt like a major difference and a, a bit of an improvement. If they had uh, a game tomorrow, Nick, which was the final game of the season that they needed to win to stay in the division, how many... Of the players, would you be 100% confident if I asked you to name the starting 11, would be in that starting 11? Um, pass. Uh, yeah. 100% confident, uh, probably Dean Henderson in goal. Um, I mean, Brennan Johnson has not been not been sort of fantastic all season, but he's started every game. I think Scott McKenna certainly started every game, so you could probably bank on him playing. Ryan Yates is probably a, a a banker as well. Beyond that, it's a bit difficult to confidently predict anyone. Um, and you know, not not because again, not because Cooper doesn't know what he's doing, but you know, he's kind of still learning the players' names. He doesn't, you know, he 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 hasn't been able to figure out not not even what his best team is, but what players are going to be suited for certain roles and which players are going to be suited for certain games. Um, He has said after the uh, Fulham game a couple of weeks ago that Forrest lost uh, 3-2. 
he said this is the, the these are obviously all the things that you usually start uh, you have to figure out in in pre-season but he's doing it, all of that whilst playing a, a a Premier League game Brendan Rodgers obviously has a lot of how do you how you put this silly quotes to to uh, to his name that are easy to mock but he 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 once said that being a, a football manager is like trying to fly a plane while it's being built which uh, I've always quite liked and it really applies to to forest situation at the moment I think it applies sort of tenfold, doesn't it, Paul, to Forest situation? I mean, I, I was with Dean Smith the other night. He was he was in charge at Aston Villa when Aston Villa bought twelve, I think it was one summer. He said they were in a similar situation. They were losing some of their loan signings. Interestingly, what they managed to do was make sure some of those line loan signings became permanent when they got promoted. And that's probably been one of Forest's problems in that a couple of their most sex, successful loan signings in the Championship. For one reason or another, they didn't turn into permanent signings. That may have helped yeah, them. Yeah, well, you know, James Garner, Forrest were very, very keen to get him on a on a permanent basis following his second successful loan spell from Manchester United. He'd done really, really well. But Manchester United wanted to have a look at him in pre-season and decide what they thought his future was. And they kind of procrastinated and procrastinated until right towards the end of, of pre-season and almost the start of the season before deciding that they were they were going to go out and... and, and they were going to let him leave and, and, and sell him. And by then it was too late. Forrest had already done all their strengthening in midfield and didn't want to sign another midfielder. So they missed out on him. Keenan Davis, he was a real, he was more than a target man, but he was an outlet and a, and a really useful asset up front. But Aston Villa just wanted too much money for him. I think they were talking about £15 million, which was just a bit rich for a player who was very, very good, but does have a few uh, historic injury issues, if you like. And then there's Jed Spence, who was absolutely outstanding at, at right back and he grew up in, in in London and was a Spurs fan and from the moment they became interested in him and signing him from from Middlesbrough then there was only going to be one winner there I, I don't know how he feels about that move now given the opportunities he's had because they've been very limited and it, it feels like his career might be put on pause effectively just a little bit would he have been better at Forest playing football we'll never know but all these all these players as you say that were key figures aren't there now and and Forest have of lost players who know the Forest way. They've got players like Ryan Yates and Joe Worrell and Brennan Johnson who who know how Cooper likes to do things. But all the other new additions are all learning. They're all getting to know the way that he wants to operate and, and that's going to take time. When we talked about Cooper being under pressure before uh, he signed the, the new contract or got the new contract, that, that pressure was only perceived to be coming from the Nottingham Forest owner, was it, Nick? I mean, I mean it, was, it certainly wasn't coming from fans as far as I could gather. Yeah, personally, I don't know anyone who wanted a, a, a change in manager. But if you look at the response to him signing a new contract, it was, uh, again, as far as I could tell, universally positive. I, I think even if there were fans that have kind of tactical reservations or, or reservations about team selection or anything like that, the emotional connection between a man who gave us, for fans of a certain generation, the greatest moment of our Forest supporting lives at the playoff final last season... That emotion, you know, just because just for for Ropey's seven or eight games, that emotional connection isn't going to go. So I, it's hard. I don't think it's particularly surprising that he's so kind of so widely supported by the the Forest fans. And even if you disregard that emotional connection, I think everyone is sensible enough to recognise what an incredibly difficult situation he's in. I, I kind of liken it a little bit to the Leeds United relationship with Marcelo Bielsa, even though. 
when well, at the time that Bielsa was sacked, the uh, results weren't good, and I mean it, it was sort of further on into the season, but they were basically heading for relegation at that point. But you would have struggled to find the Leeds fan who wanted to wanted to get rid of him. And I think it's while the situation is difficult, I think it's a, a similar kind of um, sentiment with Forest fans. Why did the owner give him a new contract? Paul? <laughs> oh, there's there's a question. Uh, it was all through circumstance, you know. Obviously, Forest there. The, the hierarchy are, are hugely ambitious. They want to stay in the Premier League at all costs. That I, th- I think once they'd signed the 22 players and spent around £150 million, they were aiming even higher. They thought they could get a top-half finish or even perhaps a push challenge for you know lower end of European places. And whether you think that's realistic or not, that was their goal. And it became very clear that after five consecutive defeats, that was starting to look unlikely. And their response to that was to go out and think, well, Okay, let's see what alternative options we we might have. And they did sound out several <clears throat> potential replacements for Steve Cooper, real high end targets as well. It's, it's unclear how far conversations went, but they were thinking about people like Pochettino and even Tuchel, which is again hugely ambitious. But it became very clear, very clear, very quickly that they were unrealistic, and they found themselves with a list of of other managers that included people like Rafa Benitez, Nuno Espirito Santo, Sean Dyche. And I think that combined with the fan reaction, you know, on one hand, they were thinking, well, if we're going to make a change, it's got to be a step up. It's got to be a real improvement because the fans aren't going to like it. And it's going to be a very negatively received step to take. And B, there was all of a sudden, there was it became clear that there was also interest in Steve Cooper. Clubs like Southampton and Wolverhampton, to varying degrees, were were kind of sniffing around him. And, and I think Forrest thought, well, A, if we can't make an improvement on him, and B, maybe we're misjudging him. If there's if there's interest from other clubs as well, and other clubs are wanting him, maybe he's, he's not such a bad manager after all, and we should be sticking rather than twisting. Combined with all of that, their actions, there's no being around the bush, their actions had created this kind of mood of un- unrest, if you like. There was speculation about the manager's future that wasn't doing him any favours. The, 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 the thought was that he was he was a dead man walking after the, after the Leicester game. Everybody expected him to go. And I think they took a look at the entire situation, everything we've just talked about, and thought, well, we've got to steady the mood. We've got to send out the right message. And I think giving him the new contract at that point was the only way they could do it. They needed to send out a public message that, yeah, he's our manager and we're sticking with him. And that, that that's what they've done. Hopefully, in a very circuitous, roundabout way, they've got to the right decision. And, you know, Steve Cooper will continue the good job he did last season and, and steer them clear of trouble. What was your, I don't want to misquote your tweet, Nick, but but what, what was your tweet that compared him to a vase before? Because this then links us on, <laughs> this then links us on to the next section. So I said after uh, Forrest appointed Filippo Giraldi the um, as the sporting director, who was obviously at Watford before that, it had heavy vibes of saying, mm, nice vase you've got there. Shame if someone was to smash it. Um, <laughs> the, the Yeah, the, 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 I, I just enjoyed the kind of possible uh, conflicting messages of theoretically backing your manager uh, and supporting him and not sacking him and then bringing in a, the guy from Watford. and that (laughs) and that is what we'll come on to next on the Athletic Football Podcast Would you like to be the fountain of football knowledge within your friendship group either down the pub or in the group chat because if so 
the Athletic Football Tactics podcast is surely the podcast for you. I'm Ali Maxwell, and every week the Athletics Tactics guru Michael Cox, its data whiz Mark Kerry, and myself take a tactical deep dive into the week's biggest talking points. This week we'll be assessing the ever-changing role of the modern number nine and wondering if it's having a renaissance, and if so, how Erling Haaland, Darwin Nunez and Gabriel Jesus's big summer moves have shaped that conversation. We're also taking a look at Manchester City against Liverpool and asking if this is still the biggest fixture that the Premier League has to offer or not. Make sure to check out our back catalogue too. Three years worth of episodes featuring more nostalgic lookbacks at iconic teams and seasons from yesteryear like Carlo Ancelotti's Christmas tree formation at AC Milan or Mesut Ozil's Arsenal legacy. It's good fun and the experts bring a ton of insight. So join us. Just search for the Athletic Football Tactics podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Joining me, the Athletics Nottingham Forest writer, uh, Paul Taylor, and the Athletic writer, Nick Miller. We've discussed Steve Cooper uh, and his role in getting Nottingham Forest back to the Premier League. But let's talk about the hierarchy uh, above him. Our senior writer, Daniel Taylor, along with Matt Slater and Paul, has looked into the Nottingham Forest owner, Evangelos Marinakis, which you can read on The Athletic right now. Uh, and Daniel tells us he's a man who knows what he wants. He's got a huge aura about, about him. He's a very successful man, first and foremost, sort of in the football field. He's had 10 out of 12 league titles with Olympiacos. Ultimately, who took Nottingham Forest back to the Premier League as the owner. He does things differently, certainly. He's not an orthodox football club owner, and it's always interesting. It's very rarely dull at, at Forest and Olympiacos, and he's a very challenging owner, and that makes it sometimes quite a, a stressful environment, I suppose, to, to be working in. It normally works, so I don't think he's one that's really going to change, you know, certainly after sort of 12 years at Olympiacos and five with Forrest. You know, Mr. Marinakis, as everyone calls him at Forrest, you know, very, very sort of deferential almost. 
he tends to get what he wants most of the time. What I want to make sure is that uh, we'll give all the ammunition to Steve and to his team uh, for the new season to be able to be very competitive and uh, to try not only to maintain the position in Premier League but also to perform well because uh, sky is the limit and uh, in my life whatever uh, we are involved with always we're at the top. I'm not sure he particularly goes in for long-term strategies. You know, he wants success immediately. There were people at Forest who believe that, you know, he, he really wanted to have like a top six, top eight finish this season. And he felt that the summer transfer spending would would materialise in a very successful season for Forest. People have told me that, you know, he intends to vote with the big six. He he very much wants to be at that, that end of the league with Nottingham Forest. And the summer spending at Forest, they, I think the best stat really is that they spent more this summer than they've spent in their entire history put together. They outspent... You know, the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG. There have been a lot of questions, don't get me wrong. There have been a lot of questions about him and still some of those questions are slightly unanswered. But which football fan doesn't want a rich, generous owner? Really, if anyone has a debt to owe Steve Cooper, it, it's uh, Marinakis because basically his grand plan for Forrest was capsizing until, until this manager took over and, and sort of sprinkled his magic on the club and took a team that was bottom of the championship and genuinely looked like it was going to be a relegation fight to League One because it was a very, very joyless time at Forest. And, um, you know, it was a very grumpy football club at that time. And, and you know, there'd been so many big promises and such a lot of PR around, around the, this ownership. And then it just hadn't materialised until Steve Cooper took over. So in a sense, and don't get me wrong, Mr. Maranakis has always, as he's known, has always bankrolled the club and the club have always been grateful for, for that financial backing because not every club has that. We want to bring Nottingham where it belongs. And of course, Nottingham belongs in the Premier League and uh, uh, Nottingham belongs to the elite of the Premier League. The five-year plan was not just promotion, but after five years to be playing in Europe. You know, So this is what I talk about when, when I mean about his expectations and his ambitions, you know, they're, they're incredibly high. Forrest has often been chaotic. Uh, amazingly enough, they've been look, they're, they're currently looking for their fifth person to look after the communication strategy. Since promotion, May the 29th, you know, one person lasted a few days, another person lasted six weeks, the next person lasted six weeks, there was an interim person. You know, people kind of taking jobs and then being and then being sacked. And then someone who was meant to be taking the job and has looked at what's happened in the last couple of weeks, which has been pretty unpleasant at times behind the scenes. There have been stories leaked about the, the chief executive being sacked, which, you know, which football club does that? Which football club, in, you know, I've been doing this job for nearly 30 years. And I can't think of many clubs where, you know, they strategically leak stories about the only chief exec and the recruitment team to say that they think they're doing a bad job and could be sacked. And, you know, it's very, very, very unusual, you know. And, but in the championship, you can kind of get away with it in, in terms of the, the microscope isn't quite so, you know, intense. I think they recognise now that you can't run a team in English football as you do in Greek football and that there are cultural differences. But I think it took a long time for them to realise that. And that being generous is a brilliant big part of future success and it's so appreciated by the Forest fans who haven't had that for a long time. How many times have they broken the club's rec you know transfer record this this summer? You know, it, it's all very much appreciated. But you've got to also open your eyes and realise that there are other ways and there are things behind the scenes that St certainly Steve Cooper is aware of, certainly other people very high up at the club are, are aware of that have to be put right as well because it's not just enough to be 
producing players who are more expensive than the than than would have been bought previously. You know, that's a that's a big part of it, but it's not the be all and end all. That was Daniel Taylor. Let's start with Marinakis, and and then we'll come on to the appointment of Filippo Giraldi. Um, as we heard from Daniel, he's an involved owner, shall we say, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> did you like did you like that diplomacy, Nick? Did you like that? Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll leave it at that for now, shall we? <laughs> Do you know what? Like, he's, he's very involved now. He, he was he was a bit more distant last season when they were in the championship, but his, his interest has notably stepped up this season. And 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 why not? You know, he, he, they're in the Premier League now, and I, I think that was always always his aim. It, he's such an interesting character, Maranakis. It, 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 and I don't think anybody beyond his inner circle really knows him. You talk to people at Forest, and he kind of just breezes into the club. Doesn't really converse with too many people beyond the absolute hierarchy doesn't doesn't involve himself with uh you know regular staff members if you like but you go to greece and it, it, it's remarkable you know we we had the good fortune to go and watch uh forest play olympiakos in in athens and and and, and spend some time around the place and we had a meal at a, a, a restaurant in, in Piraeus, the harbour, uh, which is not too far from Olympiakos. And uh, both teams were there, the staff. Uh, and Marinakis kind of turned up a little bit later. And it, it was like a Hollywood actor had turned up. There were cameras going off, TV crews, just a huge kerfuffle. Loads of security guards, armed guards, by the way. It, 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 he's just such a big, larger-than-life character uh, and, and a big figure in the whole city of Athens. They, they do a lot of work in the community out there. They they help to feed homeless people. They, they do a lot of work with local schools. It, it is remarkable to see that. And he, he, he's, it, it's completely different at Forest. He was such a, not a quiet figure, but he, he kind of less of a public figure in Nottingham. And I think that's changing because he, he is around games more and just naturally being in the Premier League, there's more of a spotlight on him. And it's- is, is that simply it? Is that simply it? Being in the Premier League, I think League, it is. That changes his his interest or his uh, his willing his exposure. Yeah, that that, and also I think there's just I've been amazed. I mean, I, I I've covered, like I said, I've covered Forest for 16 years, and I've never covered them in the Premier League, and it's such a change. The spotlight is huge. You don't realise until you're there what what level of media interest there is. You know, you, you'd go to press conferences last season, and there'd be three or four of us there just having a chat with Steve Cooper. Now it's like the whole media world descends on the city ground, and you, you've got you know half a dozen TV crews there, dozens of national journalists. You know, the spotlight on on Premier League football clubs is just until you experience it, it's just been such an eye-opener. And I think it's been an eye-opener for a lot of people at Forest as well. Uh, I know Danny spoke about the, the communications director and things like that. The, the, the level of media scrutiny in the Premier League is remarkable, and I'm not sure Forrest were were prepared for it. What's the fans' relationship with the owner, Nick? It's interesting. He when he first took over, he was he was incredibly popular initially, just because he wasn't the previous guy, um, Fawaz Al Hasawi. I, I don't know if it's a, a it was a as neat as this, but it seemed to get worse every year. Paul, the, the last, se- last season of Al Hazoi was when Forrest survived on the last day, wasn't it? I think that I yeah. think that's right. And the, the the whole running of the the club was not just chaotic, but it just felt like no, absolutely nobody knew what they were doing. So when Maranakis came in, he appointed Nicholas Randall as the chairman, who's a kind of very he's a QC, he's a very sort of plausible front man. And you know, the, 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 several things they started doing behind the scenes. They kind of appointed a few, um, a few people who again seemed to know what they were doing. It all seemed very competent, really. But uh, kind of gradually, it as 
managers gradually got sacked and people seemed to uh, roles seemed to change behind the scenes and you know chief executives or hierarchy staff came and went it got a little bit more chaotic and it seemed like only really when Dane Murphy came in at the uh, sort, of, sort of in the summer of 2021 yeah, May, May last year at that point it felt like people there was a little bit more control and they um, obviously made a very sensible appointment in in Steve Cooper but there are, there are certain sections of the uh, of the fan base that are that are, that absolutely love him purely because of the backing for financial uh, and in the transfer market that he's he's given to the team he's bought lots of exciting players i mean you know Jesse Lingard isn't hasn't played very well so far this season but to certain type of fan he's a very exciting player um i think there are there is an, another bigger section that are very sort of quite cautiously sort of welcome of him just because you just never know what's going to happen next um we'll we'll come on we'll we'll perhaps come on to um the latest departures from uh, the yeah. forest hierarchy but it it just felt like monday night was a a, a sort of solid 1-1 draw the, the kind of stable result that you build a, a survival season on and it felt like forest just couldn't cope with that level of uh, stability <laughs> and calmness for 24 hours so just got rid of a couple of people <laughs> it's like it's, it's like 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 how a, a shark has to keep moving forest have to be in a constant state of flux or else someone will burst and <laughs> um, just before we come on to those departures just on the lingard signing Marinakis's son was involved in that signing. Is that right? Yeah, Paul? yeah. Milchardis, he 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 was a key key figure in getting that deal done. I think they even flew Jesse Lingard out to Greece to sort of get it over the line, sort of charm him into into signing for for Forest. I mean, there's a lot of myth spoken about Lingard. In, in I mean, he's getting paid a, a lot of money. We're told it's around 110,000 pounds a week. You know, with some huge bonuses available if he does well and if the team does well. It hasn't worked out so far. Let's not let's not gloss over that. He hasn't performed yet for Forrest, but he could be a very good signing. And, and there's very little risk involved in terms of the fact he's only signed for one year. If the worst happens, and we don't, we hope it doesn't, but if they were to get relegated, they wouldn't be tied to a huge contract with him. But if he does do well, if he feels at home at Forrest and they stay in the Premier League, there's a there's an opportunity there to extend it. And hopefully it will work out. Hopefully he will come good. But But, you know, yeah, Miltiadis was was front and centre of uh, of getting that that deal done without a doubt. Does he have a role? Yeah, he he he's quite a senior figure at Forest. I mean, this this summer in particular, uh, it feels like he's become uh, more of a more of an influence. I mean, he's he's, he's only twenty three. He's still a very young man. He, he studied he studied in Nottingham, and yeah, now now he's 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 quite a, a senior figure at, a, at Forest, helping to run the club. Yeah. So on to those sackings that happened on Tuesday, wasn't it, after the Monday game? So the head of recruitment has gone, Paul. The head scout has gone. And that followed a review of summer transfer business and strategy, which was conducted by the owner and also the new sporting director. Who's only been there? A, who's been there a week? Is yeah. that right? Yeah, few, well, less than that. A few I mean, days. That's, really. a, that's a hell of a. That's a hell of a hell of a quick review from it, it him. It is. He's done well. <laughs> uh, um, I, I've got... So what, why why have they been why have why have George Sirianos and Andy Scott been held responsible? I, it feels to me, if I'm entirely honest, like somebody just 
there had to be a reaction to the start they've made to the season. Things haven't gone well. There's been a poor start. Things aren't cohesive. Things aren't gelling. There are problems. And I think somebody had to pay the price for that. Whether you think that these are the right two people to be paying the price is a different matter entirely. It's a difficult one. I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for, for George Sirianos in particular, because when you look at the list of signings that Forrest made in the summer, and even the signings they made last season, I, I believe he was one of the key figures behind signing players like Garner and Davis, for example. This season, the players he was behind were players like Nia Carter, who's been brilliant in defence prior to his injury, uh, Mangala, very good in midfield, O'Brien, Toffolo, uh, Nico Williams, uh, Wan Yi, who's not done quite so well, but looks like he's got raw potential, uh, and Morgan Gibbs-White. These were all signings that were kind of Syrianos signings, if you like. And on that basis, he, he when you look at the summer recruitment, has probably had quite a positive role. They're, they're the clutch of players that you think have probably, among all the new additions, probably done better than some of the others. So I'm sure he won't be short, short of suitors. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people out there who'll, who'll want to give him an opportunity because he's he's broadly done a, a very good job. And as I said, I, it feels to me like he's a little bit unlucky to be to be out of work now. It, it's difficult to disagree with that, actually, Nick, isn't it? You, you look at Forest business last season, which we talked about, and the importance of those loan signings and how influential they were in getting Forest up. And you look at the list of look at the list of players. There's some of you go, good signing, good signing. You know, there would have been plenty of clubs in for virtually every player that they've signed, and certainly every player that Paul has signed. I mean, I go back to O'Brien being one of the most sought after championship midfielders. You know, Leeds wanted him. This last summer, didn't they? Tried to get that over the line and and that didn't work. The ones they identified are, are good signings, just the sheer number of them. Yeah, I mean, I think you can sort of divide the, the summer transfer business into two halves. And it, it was kind of before the start of the season, it all seemed very methodical and sensible. And I don't know if it was designed this way, but they signed a goalkeeper in the defence first and then started moving to midfield and then then looking at players, um, more, more attacking players. And then it all seemed to get a bit more chaotic after that. And it feels like the players that were identified by the recruitment team, by Sirianos and possibly Andy Scott, were in that first category. And then players that may have been identified by other people at the club came fell into that second category. The other thing is that... Um, that Sirianos and I think Dane Murphy were the people that identified Steve Cooper as the man to take over when Chris Hewton was sacked just over a year ago. So it feels like every decision that they have made has been sensible and methodical. And even if a couple of the signings haven't worked out so far and might not work out in the, the longer term, there was at least some thought to it. So yeah, as as Paul has said, both Sirianos and Andy Scott uh, can feel unlucky slash aggrieved to be out of a job. Why did they need Filippo Giraldi, and why did they why did they identify him as the right person, Paul? I think he 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 had almost ten years at Watford, and and whilst they're a club that <laughs> are known for uh, having somewhat of a, a revolving door in the manager's office, if you like, they also achieved a, a lot of success. They spent much of that period in in the Premier League, and that that's what Forrest want. They want they want to be in the Premier League party, and, and I think he's been bought in just for that influence as, as well. You know, join join his time at the at Watford. They signed players like Richarlison, Etienne Capoue, uh, Decore. You know, they, they signed good players, and his recruitment has also been very good. Now. 
there's an argument to be made that you, 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 you're fixing something that isn't broken by getting rid of, of, of somebody like Sirianos and Dane Murphy, who we mentioned there as well, is another one who's, who's, whose position is still very much under, under scrutiny. And as, as Nick mentioned, it, even further than being the people that wanted Steve Cooper, they actually presented a case to the ownership saying, here's all the data that shows why he's, he's such a good appointment. And they, they really argued a case to get him in. So for that alone, they've left, they've left, left a big legacy at, at, at Nottingham Forest. Uh, but to get back to, to Giraldi, hopefully, hopefully he'll have a positive influence. He, he seems to be quite an open character. In an interview he did when he just left Watford, he, he spoke about how he likes to work with managers, how he likes to talk to them, how he likes to, I was going to say influence team selection, but that, that's a bit strong. But, you know, he's a very hands-on character who has got results at, at, at Watford. So hopefully he can have the same influence here. We'll, we'll, we'll see. As well as the managerial revolving door policy at Watford, I mean, th- th- their squad doesn't half go through some churn and change at, at Watford. There's a certain element of a revolving door policy when it when it comes to players as well. But you can't, as, as Paul says, Nick, you can't deny the fact that, it, that that he made some very, very good and astute signings for Watford in his time there. He has identified some talent. No, absolutely, and you know the. I suppose the counterpoint would would be that there are you know when you sign so many players, there are going to be a few stinkers in there as well. But yeah, if if uh, if he can un- uncover the next Richarlison or you know Abdullah Dakori, then uh, I'll be absolutely delighted to to have him at Forest. It feels like someone who is used to such flux and chaos is actually. Uh, Perhaps counterintuitively, uh, the perfect man to come in at Forest. He fits it fits in very nicely. Um, this may be an impossible question to answer for you both. I don't know. Nick, go first. This is where we'll end. What does the future look like for Forest? Um, yeah, you're right. It's a it's an impossible question. So 2022 so far is the first year that Forest haven't sacked a manager since 2010. So we've only got a couple of months left of that. So let's hope for the, uh, you know, in the short slash medium term that that, that stays stay the same. I can only really give you what I hope is going to happen. Uh, it, it, predicting what actually is going to happen at a club that, as we've established, thrives on chaos is completely impossible. I hope that Cooper stays in charge for uh, until the end of the season. They don't make too many signings in January and there is a sort of... Uh, uh, by the time we get to the final game of the season against Crystal Palace in May, Forest are comfortably clear of uh, the bottom three. Beyond that, I have absolutely no idea. I did, admittedly, have my head in my hands there at one point, but yeah, it's a standard standard response to most of my guests on this podcast <laughs> at some point. So you're fitting it, right it was in. Nick was Nick, Nick pointed out that they hadn't sacked a manager yet this year, and I, I guess that that. <laughs> I'm giggling, but in, in a serious point, that's got to be Steve Cooper's goal, really. I mean, there's only, there's, there's not, a, I think there's only six, seven matches left before we actually go into the World Cup break. So a realistic goal for him has got to be to ensure that Forrest are in a bit of a better position. And then, you know, hopefully they can rebuild and, and kind of press the reset button again, join, join that break and hopefully get themselves going again in the second half of the season. But what, what the future looks like for Forrest, it'd just be great to have some stability. Hopefully, come the end of the season, Steve Cooper will still be manager because that means he'll have he'll have got the job right and things are things are looking up for Forest. It, it'd be nice just to have a bit of a period of relative calm, wouldn't it? I'm going to give just to add on to that. I'm going to give you the petty partisan um, hope for the season for Forest fans. Famously, Derby uh, went down with 11 points in when was it 2008? Forest are currently on five points, so seven more points, uh, and I'm a happy man. 
See, even though we do long reads and claim to do highbrow podcasts, we can still do really petty fan things as well. Uh, Paul, Nick, thank you very much. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months, theathletic.com slash football pod. Those long reads with the odd bit of pettiness up there now. The Athletic.